Last time I talked about idol worship. And guess what the subject of everything is today? Idol worship. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go beyond what I did last time on the theory that you remember what I said last time. And for those of you who don't or weren't here last time and don't remember, I will recap briefly before I move along. So the Ten Commandments are, in a sense, a chiasm. Idol worship is the subject before the Ten Commandments, and then after the Ten Commandments, it's idol worship. So the Ten Commandments are sort of bracketed by don't worship idols. And it is my belief, and I think it's correct or I wouldn't believe it, that human nature doesn't change. So if God finds it necessary to warn us over and over and over again about idol worship, that must be something that we need to worry about. So what he says in Deuteronomy 4, starting in about 29, I'm not going to read it since Richard just did, is if you follow idols, you will go away from God and you will not remain in the land. That's sort of the section that leads the Ten Commandments. And then he says, once you go into exile, it will be up to you to search for God. Now that's different because early in the Bible, God searches for us. And now that we know God, if you go into apostasy and idol worship, then it's your responsibility to turn around and search for him. And God says that he will leave you the means to find him, which is to say his word. And God furthermore says, once you become dissatisfied with idols, then you will be moved to seek him. In other words, you seek idols, the land vomits you out, you get sent into the world, and at some point you're going to recognize that idols are not satisfactory, and they aren't taking you any place you want to go. Then you're going to turn to God with all your heart, and then he will bring you back. And oh, by the way, all of the bad things that happen to you while you're in exile are God's way of showing you that idols are not satisfactory. That's sort of the first chunk before the Ten Commandments. Now, what we said last time, or what I said last time, is an idol is anything that gives you permission to do something that God doesn't want you to do. So in biblical times, at the time of the Ten Commandments and so forth, they would make statues and worship those statues, and they'd make gods in their own image, and they would make a god that would let them do what they wanted to do as opposed to what God would have them do. Well, as you all know, except maybe in places like Boulder, most of us aren't tempted to fall down before metal images anymore. That's sort of been worked out of us. So what is the equivalent to the metal images that they were tempted to fall down before in biblical times? What it is now is something that allows you, justifies you in your own mind, not to do what God would have you do. So God, for example, gives you lists of people with whom you may have sexual relations. Well, everybody knows that that list is entirely too restrictive. So what we'll do is we'll get an idol here and we'll start importing Midianite babes or whatever it is. We'll expand the universe of what we can do. And what idols do is give you excuses that allow you to do those things. And what an idol does is it exposes the faults in your character and then magnifies them. 
it always starts small. In other words, nobody goes up and starts saying, cool, we're going to do human sacrifice. That's not where it starts. That's where it winds up. But where it starts is something small. Well, all right, I'm really not allowed to marry that gal, but it's not a big thing. And so you start down that path, and what happens is you discover that the rabbit hole goes way deeper than you ever thought it was going to go when you started off. And that's the problem we are having today. Ten Commandments. Start there for a minute, which is what we had today. Ten Commandments is one of three lists of ten in the Scriptures. And in each of those three lists of ten, you have a list of nine, and then the tenth one represents an intensification or a perfection or a culmination of the list. So you have the ten statements in Genesis where we have creation. The last one is God created man in his own image. In other words, everything is leading up to that. You have the ten plagues in Egypt. And you go along with flies and boils and hail and all that kind of stuff. And the intensification is then the death of the firstborn. Well, in the Ten Commandments, you have don't do this, don't do this, honor this, honor that. And then the intensification is thou shalt not covet. And what Paul says in a couple of places, I will read it to you from Ephesians. It's also in Colossians. Ephesians 5.5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, parenthesis, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So what Paul says is covetousness is idolatry, which brings us up to our modern situation. Remember I started off by saying most of us are not tempted to make little figurines and fall down in front of them every day and so forth. That doesn't tempt us anymore. But covetousness hasn't gone anywhere. Covetousness is still there. And what Paul is saying is idol worship is covetousness. So that's sort of what we did last time. Now, what I want to do is talk about idolatry in a couple of ways. First off, God says don't worship idols. And he says it over and over and over again. And there's sort of two reasons for that. The first reason is you are giving to another that which belongs to God. God says, I created you, I want to have a relationship with you, and part of that relationship is I want you to worship me. And so when you worship an idol, what you are doing is you are giving something to something else that God has reserved for himself. And then the second reason why it is because of what it does to the worshiper. So first off, God says don't do it because worship belongs to me, not to anything else. But the other reason God says don't do it is because of what it does to the one who follows idols. And that's sort of where I'm going to hang out today. What are the consequences to the idolater of idolatry? I'm not going to spend a lot of time hanging out in the fact that worship belongs to God. Now, idol worship is an affair of the heart. And I'll quote from Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 17. So Deuteronomy 30, 17. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you will surely perish. 
you shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. Remember, we started off in Deuteronomy 4, which we read today, which says if you follow idols, the land is going to throw you out. At the end of Deuteronomy, he's saying the same thing. But what he's saying here is the temptation to worship idols is an affair of the heart. And one of the things that our culture does today is it says that you should follow your heart. Anybody ever heard that? That's terrible advice. That is the worst possible advice anybody could give you. Because you know what the first mention of the human heart is. You've all been through this before, so you should all know it. What's the first mention of the human heart in Scripture? Right before the flood. The very first mention of the human heart in Genesis is the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So I'm suggesting to you that the human heart hasn't actually changed. It's still the same as it always was. So if what you're doing is you're following your heart, you are following something that is going to lead you astray. So what do you follow instead? Scripture. Because what Scripture does is tells you when your heart wants to go over here, Scripture says, no, 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 don't do that. That's terminally stupid. That's what Scripture does for you. Because if you follow your heart, your heart will lead you astray. And as I said, in Deuteronomy, God says that idolatry is an affair of the heart. Idolatry gives you permission in some way to follow your heart. Now, we had a reading in Isaiah. And we're doing Isaiah, by the way, on Tuesday night in Bible study. And for those of you who have been very faithful and come on Tuesday night, some of this you'll have heard before, but it'll do you good. You can hear it again. The section starting in Isaiah 40 is poetic. And it's a series of subjects. So he'll talk about the Assyrians. He'll talk about Judah. He'll talk about Israel. He'll talk about the Babylonians and so forth. And what you have is the subject is introduced. And then in each one of those subjects, there's this little section which I call trash talk. What that is is where God introduces a subject and then he talks about idols. And it's just classic sports trash talk. All right, you guys are worshiping his image. Well, let's bring your images up here and let's see if they can uh, predict the future. Come on, bring them up here. Let's see what they say and let's see if it happens. It's that kind of thing over and over again. Hey, you guys have got to carry your idols on donkey carts. Ooh, hey, I've been carrying you. So it's that kind of taunting, if you will which, as I say, in sports is called trash talk. And it starts, by the way, in Isaiah 40, which we read today, where it says, what can you compare me to? How about an idol? And then it goes and lists what an idol can't do. And it goes on and on. And where I want to go to is Isaiah 47, which is one of these vignettes. And by the way, this section is talking about Babylon, which is where I want to be. I don't actually want to be in Babylon. But that's subjectively where I want to be. So Isaiah 47, 8. And this is talking of Babylon. Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, or know the loss of children. These two things will come to you in a moment in one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure. In spite of your many sorceries, and the great power of your enchantments. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. 
Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. You said in your heart, I am and there is no one beside me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster will fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. So the thing about Babylon is hubris. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. You said in your heart, again, notice the heart. You said in your heart, I am and there is no one beside me. Babylon, by the way, was in that time a world center of knowledge. They were expert astronomers. They were expert astrologers. They were regarded as one of the centers of learning. Uh, Babylon and Egypt were sort of the two centers of learning in the ancient world. This is before Greece now. But when it said Solomon is the wisest man in the world, the deal would have been Solomon from Israel. Nobody's smart in Israel. Sort of like Oxford in Egypt and Cambridge in Babylon. It was sort of that kind of thing. And by the way, what we have today is also intellectual hubris. How many people do you talk to when you talk about Scripture and they say something like, you believe that? I mean, that was written by desert nomads 2,000 years ago or more. We know much more than that now. We're much smarter than that now. We're much more sophisticated. I mean, we know stuff that they didn't have any idea about. Why are you following people like that? That's intellectual hubris. And that's Babylon. That's what Babylon does. Now, I'm going to go to Revelation next. And we're still talking about Babylon. And Babylon shows up about three or four places in Revelation. And I'm not going to read them all by any stretch of the imagination. But I want to read Revelation 17, verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk on the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Yeshua. Now, I want to focus on mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And you guys that have been in Isaiah on Tuesday, you all know the answer to this one. What is the very first rebellion that humans attempt after the flood? The Tower of Babel, isn't it? So you have the flood, everything's wiped off and we start it all over again. And the very first apostasy, the very first going astray was the Tower of Babel. So what I'm asserting to you here is when Revelation says Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations, that all started in Babylon. That's why she is called this in Revelation. So what you have is a great set of bookends. At the beginning, you have the beginning of Babylon and the beginning of all of the stuff that goes on after the flood that God doesn't approve of. And then at the end... Babylon is going to be destroyed. And what's Babylon famous for? Idol worship. Babylon was idol central, right? So, now, 
The other thing I want you to notice is Babylon is referred to as a woman. She's a prostitute, which is to say, instead of being the bride as we are designed to be, what we have here is a prostitute, which gives her favors, if you will, to someone who is not authorized, not God. Remember I said one of the reasons God hates idol worship is because it gives to something else something that he has reserved for himself. Isn't that what a prostitute does? Now I'm going to skip to today. One of the things that we are dealing with here in the United States is what I would call a spirit of Jezebel, a spirit of Babylon, a spirit of prostitution. If you look at liberalism, it is heavily infused with really angry women. Look at the presidential candidates. What you're dealing with there is a spirit of Jezebel. And what you're seeing is an inarticulate scream of feminine rage against the fact that things aren't going the way they want them to. That's Babylon. And and this is not an anti-woman thing, by the way. I'm not talking against women. I'm talking against Babylon and Jezebel where I think I'm on pretty solid ground. And what you're seeing is Jezebel frustrated not getting her way, or the spirit of Babylon the same way. Now, why are they so angry, other than the fact that they're not in charge? And that's annoying enough in itself. I mean, we all get annoyed when we're not in charge. That's very human. The other thing is, I was reading a blog He's a Calvinist from Idaho. I've quoted him before. His blog is Blog and May Blog. He's a very articulate writer. And what he said is when Satan comes, he brings a knife. And what do we see today? We see people who are cutting off perfectly good organs in order to try and become something that they are not. We see children who look like they had a bad encounter with a nail gun. I'm serious. And you have people taking little children and saying, oh, well, it's a mistake that he's got male body parts. We'll take those off and we'll turn him into something else. Satan comes with a knife and kills them before they're born. And as I say, it starts sort of innocently. Oh, well, you know, it's really sad that so-and-so can't do this or so-and-so has to do that. I mean, that's really sad. I really feel sorry for them. We'll let that happen. And where it winds up on the other side is child sacrifice, which is what our society is drenched in. I mean, that's what abortion is, is child sacrifice. So what happens when you start following your heart is it starts off, innocent is not the right word because it's not innocent, but it starts off small. And what happens is you just keep dragged along and you go down the rabbit hole and when you start you got no idea how deep that rabbit hole goes and what scripture tells you is this is how deep it goes that's what scripture tells you if you start down this path this is where it winds up but nobody who steps on that path the first time understands or believes the path that he has started on and where it's going to wind up And the problem that we have is God has created a moral universe. In other words, God's laws in a moral sense are every bit as binding as his laws in a physical sense are. So if I hold my stack of paper up here and turn loose, God's law of gravity will drag it very quickly to the ground. 
happens every time. God's moral laws are every bit as inexorable, but they don't work as fast. And so what happens is people who start down the path of idol worship think that they are getting a really good deal, but where they wind up is laying in a pool of their own vomit with a needle in their arm. That isn't where they planned to go. They started off on something that they thought was just fun or just innocent or no big deal. Or they wind up on a table in an abortion office. That's where it ends up because God's law is inexorable. God's iron law of sowing and reaping. And what idol worship does is it starts you down that path. And what God says is Babylon is the poster child for all of that. Because we started in Genesis with Babylon and we end up in Revelation with the destruction of Babylon. And it's all idol worship. And as I said at the beginning, understand that the human heart has not changed. We are still the same people today as we were before the flood. The mechanics of idol worship has changed, but the impulse is not. The impulse is still the same. The results are still the same. Everything is still the same. And the only way that you can rein in your heart is through the Word. The renewing of your mind by the Word. That's the only way you can rein in your heart. And everybody is that way. You, me, the kid down the street. We're all the same in that respect. So looking at someone and saying, Oh my God! Well, you can do that here. Because we all have the same impulses. So what you want to do, instead of saying, Oh my God! Which may be your first impulse is figure out how you can talk to them and how you can lead them out of the place where they have gone. And that's hard because going back to our dear friend Jezebel, what you are confronted with is red-faced screaming rage. And the reason you're confronted with red-faced screaming rage is because they are in a dead end and they don't know how to get out. But they don't realize they're in a dead end. And so you'll very often be met with rage, but your job, our job, is to figure out some way to get past that rage and reach the child of God who is potentially there and bring them to the throne of Christ. And I will tell you, frankly, it is hard. I'm not suggesting that you're going to do this with two songs and a quick prayer. It's not going to happen. Because our society right now is deep in idol worship and sin recruits. So somebody who is down in that pit isn't looking for a hand up. What they're looking for is a hand from above that they can drag down. Sort of like crabs in a pot. You all heard that metaphor? When I used to eat crabs, don't anymore. You'd get a pot of crabs and you put them in boiling water and the crabs would try and cry them out. And one of them would get up almost to the top and the rest of the crabs would grab him and pull him back down. Because what they're trying to do is grab the crab themselves to climb up, but the net result is they keep pulling each other back into the pot. And we're very much like that. So when you reach your hand down, be aware that the crab down there is going to try and pull you down with him. He is not looking for a hand up. He's looking for you to come down. And that's why this is so hard. They don't want to be reached. They're angry. They're bitter. 
things aren't working, things aren't going well, and the last thing they want to hear is some do-gooder preaching to them about how screwed up they are. So go out and figure out how to make a difference.